I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, Small Business Advanced Tax Planning and Compliance Extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Uh, today, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Leslie Mamalis. Leslie owns Summit Veterinary Advisors, a company that helps veterinary practices across the country with profitability and business value. She's a credentialed value analyst and co-chair of the Vet Partners Valuation Council, a group of leaders in veterinary practice valuation. Leslie and the rest of the Summit team help primary and specialty practices across the country with financial and productivity issues to create business value and cash flow. Her favorite topics are... I just kept reading. I just kept reading. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Helping veterinarians and managers understand the numbers and why they're important corporate sales and whether private veterinarians want to own practices, managers as owners. I love it. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. I'm so happy we finally got you. <laughs> finally. I know it's been months with, you know, something on my end or your end. I know. It was like, it was just back and forth and I was like, are we ever going to get well, this? And then coronavirus. And then right? coronavirus. So I was like, let's just do it via Zoom. Let's just do everything via Zoom. We'll bring you back in person at some point since you're That local. sounds great. And then we'll go to lunch again. Okay, good. Because that good. was awesome. Um, so what was your first job? Oh, gosh. My first job was um, candy counter at the movie theater. Yep. Um, candy counter at the movie theater. And then I... I um, was promoted to cashier so I could sell tickets. <laughs> and actually that was the, the best um, high school job because I knew who was dating whom. <laughs> and who, you know, when back when it was unusual for the girl to pay, I knew mm. which girls paid. And yeah, I mean, it's like, it was perfect because I, I was right in the center of all of the, all of the teen angst. <laughs> <laughs> You had all the tea. You're like, ooh, so-and-so went to movies with so-and-so. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. And it's like, hmm, they must have bro broken up because she's here with someone else. <laughs> or maybe they didn't. Or maybe they didn't. Exactly. <laughs> it's too funny. Um, <laughs> can you give us a quick synopsis of your career journey? Oh, gosh. Well, so um, I... When I worked for the American Animal Hospital Association mm -hmm. um, back in the 90s, I, when I was quite young, as you can imagine. <laughs> you were um, very young. My boss was um, Dr. Bob Freelich. He was in charge of the management development programs at AHA. And so it was the management education. We had actually a financial um, tool where members would send in their data every quarter and we'd you know, churn that and come up with management reports basically for everyone um, on a quarterly basis. And that was, that was really fun. Um, and then he started Summit Veterinary Advisors with Lorraine List, a CPA, and eventually I moved over to work with them. Um, I left them because I got to a point in analysis where I knew something, I knew there was something else there, but mm -hmm. I didn't have the, the educational background to understand what it was. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school, got my, got two masters, um, eventually came back to Summit and I bought it 
um, on April Fool's Day of 2014. <laughs> so we're just past the six-year mark. Congratulations. Well, thank and you. How long have you been there? Well, so I, I started at Summit in 2000, then I left in 2003 to get my master's and came back in 2006. So 14 years or 16 kind of total, mm -hmm. something like that. And Summit's only been around since 1998. So I've been part of Summit for most of its um, lifespan. Wow. Summit's been around since I graduated from high school. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> um i love i love a different perspective i love i love you and our numbers nerds like we're just like we love the data we love the analysis we love to like oh, yeah. take numbers and make mean something um, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the first time and you and i had coffee it was like or we had lunch and we just talked about numbers <laughs> and, I, and it was great i know i was like wait this can't end <laughs> I, know. I know we we really we really bonded over that and talking about losing pets and it was like oh my gosh it was all a thing <laughs> i do have to tell you so we just rescued a kitty cat from max fund oh great. about three weeks ago uh, she's half feral. <laughs> oh, is she really? I think so. So right. she wants nothing to do with us. So oh. it's been interesting. Well, yeah. Just yeah, give her time. I know everybody's like, give they're not, they're not dogs. <laughs> well, exactly. And even with dogs, I say, what is it? It's, it's three days till they, um, start to settle in three weeks till they know your re routine mm -hmm. and three months before they feel like it's home. Yeah. So we'll see. She's a younger She's a younger rescue, so oh, she's good. like one, a little more than one, I think. So mm -hmm. I don't know. She's a tiny little thing. She hides from us all day, and then we get close, and she's like, <sighs> and we're like, <laughs> like chill out. <laughs> I know. I was like, figure it out yesterday. I was like, she did that to me, and I was like, mm -mm -mm. no, no. Yeah, it's like sorry. <laughs> I don't think so. So, um, so where do I want to start? So some, what are some of uh, the main services that Summit Veterinary Advisors provides? Well, we do primarily work on um, things that have are financial in nature. Mm -hmm. So we, we look, we can help with budgeting, um, which I know is every veterinarian's favorite word. <laughs> <laughs> um, we help with understanding what the numbers mean. And sometimes that's starting like from the very beginning with, you know, what, what is a profit and loss report and why do you care? And what is the balance sheet and how do you know when it's wrong? And because, you know, the, these are still numbers people, but they're, they're medical data. So they're great at understanding lab reports. They could read them in their sleep, but when you switch that to the business side, it's not, it doesn't come naturally. Mm -hmm. So um, we also really work with practice managers so that they can take on more of that analytic role and report mm -hmm. to the owner veterinarians. Um, we help a lot with profitability, with um, increasing business value and helping, mm -hmm. you know, for a while we had to help clients understand that Profit isn't a four-letter word, mm -hmm. that you have to be profitable in order to maintain your position in the community. Mm -hmm. So, And you have to be there because you are supporting people and their families. So um, but I think more and more, we don't have that conversation as often as we used to. Um, and right now, we've worked with a lot of clients understanding, you know, what the corporate 
market is like and should they sell to a to a corporate conglomerator and what does that mean for them and and um, how how can they get the most money whether they sell to an associate or another private veterinarian or whether they sell to one of the conglomerators um so let's i want to talk a little bit about sales um so what are so um what are the some of the biggest shifts you're seeing in the buying and selling of practices right now well over the last five years or so there's been a lot of growth in corporate consolidation mm-hmm. um there there have been corporate players in veterinary medicine since you know the late 80s early 90s but about five years ago suddenly veterinary medicine caught the attention of private equity Mm-hmm. firms. And so now we are seeing probably as many sales to corporate entities as we are seeing sales to private doctors. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the shift has been primarily driven by price. Mm-hmm. Consolidators have a lot more money. Um, if they want to pay more for your practice, they can where a private doctor has to rely on what a bank is going to lend to them. Mm-hmm. A bank is going to be pretty darn conservative. They're not going to lend more than they think you can pay back. Imagine mm-hmm. that. But, you know, with a consolidator, you know, they've got access to money that, and banks and lending institutions we've never heard of. Yeah. So we've seen a lot of, you know, we've seen a big increase in, in, sales to these very large companies. Um, Over the last about two years, I've noticed a shift in the number of private veterinarians coming to us asking for help opening a new practice, Mm. which is, you know, um, for, for the older veterinarians, they're saying, you know, what are you doing? We already have enough competition when there's not room for more practices, Mm. but a, a lot of, a lot of veterinarians are entrepreneurs at heart and they are not happy working for somebody else long-term, regardless of whether that's a corporate, a big corporation or whether it's, you know, just a Dr. Joe, right? So we're seeing a lot of interest in startups and banks are much more willing to help you start a practice than they are to help you overpay for a practice. Because mm-hmm. it's low risk lending. It's exactly, exactly. It starts, I mean, it takes five to $600,000 in most cases to start a practice. Um, if you're buying a multi-doctor practice and you're trying to compete with a corporate, you could be, you know, investing millions and millions of dollars. So to a bank, you know, 600000 I mean, granted, that's not chump change, but it's not, it's not nearly the risk that they mm-hmm. see with with helping someone match a corporate price. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of growth. I mean, especially like in the Denver area, everybody has at least one animal. Oh my God. So I think as a population, we have more animals, right? And and we are more attached to them Mm -hmm. than, you know, back when I was growing up, I mean, our dog was our pet, but she wasn't a family member. Mm. And now pets are, you know, really taking 
taking the place of children for empty nesters, for um, millennials who are just getting started. Um, I know, you know, my husband and I just adore both of our pets. So people are, are not only willing to go to the veterinarian more, but they're also willing to spend more on specialty care. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're getting, seeing pets get cancer treatments and um, specialized surgeries and, um, a lot of ophthalmology care and dentistry and things that in the past just were not big drivers of revenue. That's really interesting. Um, you know, and me coming into this industry, not knowing a whole ton, you know, a whole lot of, about it. I've met so many different veterinarians. Like I met an optometrist or a veterinary optometrist and I was like, that's interesting. He's like, yeah, I do a lot of glaucoma and, you know, cause it's really kind of similar to, you know, and I understand human medicine a lot more than most people do. So it's very interesting to see the parallels between how our care works and how veterinary care is shifting. Sure, sure. So we have our dentists and we have our surgeons and we have, and veterinary care is really shifting that way. It is. And, you know, a a general practitioner has to be a neonatologist. They have to be a virologist. They have to be, you know, uh, they have to deal with pets in old age, their obstetricians, I mean, all these things. Mm-hmm. And as the demand for more and more specialized care has grown, um, primary care just cannot do everything that people are demanding. And nor should they probably. Well, exactly. I They're mean, just like... know, they, they like the general medicine. They like seeing yeah. whatever comes in the door next and not so much the things that are going to disrupt their schedules. Yeah, I love it. Um, So I want to talk about veterinarians as as entrepreneurs. Okay. Um, I want to kind of go down that one because it's very interesting. So when I was trying, when I was thinking about getting into the industry, you and I talked and I was just like, Mm -hmm. tell me about, you know, who they are, you know, who did, you know, what do they need? Who, you know, what do they know? What did they not know? You know, what, you know, what are some of the personality traits? And, you know, one of the things you said is a lot of, you just said they're entrepreneurs, but we also know that they don't know business a lot of the time. And, and that's not their passion Mm -hmm. for most veterinarians. I mean, they they went to school to treat animals. They didn't go to school to read balance sheets Mm -hmm. and, and come up with capitalization structures. So, so some veterinarians certainly are multi-talented and multi-interested, and, um, but many of them just know that they want a practice of their own, mm-hmm. and they aren't quite sure how to get there, so they're reaching out um, in all sorts of areas to try to, to, try to figure it out. And uh, there's such a, a breadth of understanding I've, I've been working, you know, very recently with more and more people wanting to start practices. And we've really pushed to younger veterinarians the idea that they're going to make a lot more money as a business owner than they ever will as an employee. I mean, that's, that's just how it works. Unfortunately, what's, what a lot of them are hearing is just the part about, I can make more money if I own a business, and they don't understand the risk that they take on to get it started. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I very recently had a conversation with um, a young veterinarian who, what, who you know, had gone through the process to, to, um, to get projections done, and I was reviewing them for him, and he said, I don't understand why I'm not making more money. Why you haven't, you know, 
why you haven't, you're not showing me that I'm going to take home 35% of the growth of this practice. And it's like, well, ultimately you will, but not in year three, no. you know, it's like, it just, it's just going to take a while. And, and at the same time, yesterday I spoke with someone who's starting a practice and he is much more realistic about the risk he's taking, the fact he's not going to get a paycheck for a few months. Um, he, he understands. Mm -hmm. So, so it's a lot of times it's a reality check. It's like, oh, that's not quite what I had in mind because I need to make $200,000 to keep my family where we are right now. And it's like, you're not going to make that the first year. Or the second. Or, or the second. Maybe third. No. <laughs> exactly. But you will get there and yeah. you'll make even more. Yeah. But it's just that that um, they're, they're, they're getting the part that they can make more money, but they're not getting the part that it's going to take a while. And that's the power of projections I found. So I've done some startup projections. You and I have talked about that. Um, and, you know, if they're like, we're not going to get paid till, does this say we're not going to get paid till year three? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. I'm not showing you positive cash flowing until then. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's like you, you have to pay your employees first. and your vendors mm -hmm. first. You're, you're last in line. Always. So, but so, and, and, some some of the people I talk to are looking at at much lower risk practices mm -hmm. like um, mobile care. If there's a lot of house call practices starting up, the um, you know the the outlay to become a, you know a, a house call practitioner or a euthanasia practitioner much much lower. I mean, there's much less risk. There's they also less. Much. Yeah, they don't yeah. need much. No, especially not for a, you know, for a hospice euthanasia practice, they need very little equipment, they need very few drugs, they may or may not have any staff. Um, it's, it's very low, it's, it's a low capital investment. They probably, in many cases, won't even need a loan. Yeah, I have a, I have a euthanasia practice that um, we do stuff for in California, and it's just him, and I think he maybe does like 20 in a week or something, and he makes great money he has no overhead like it's just like well, and, and you get miles schedule yeah yeah um yeah it's interesting um you know when we're dealing with you know because it's a shop you're creating a retail space a lot of the time and there's a lot of money that has to go into you know a build out and it's just a whole oh, thing absolutely absolutely and you know even in many cases, it's finding a location because many of the doctors I talked to in California really struggle to find affordable space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're finding that too here in uh, here in Denver. Denver too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, our startup. Uh, we have a startup that actually I think they open on Friday, maybe. Oh. Um, and we're really excited, but they've been like in the middle of their build out during all. Of this. Oh gosh! Wow. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think the projection also helped her pick. A space because I was like this space is you know we're not going to cash flow for uh, five years or whatever you know well exactly I mean sometimes we're just seeing horrible right. overhead costs um it's like well you know now we really need to look at you know how how much can you push this and how long can you go without a check or with a below market compensation and and really it becomes much more of a a planning game and and modifying 
projections kind of as you go once mm -hmm. those, once the practice opens. Yeah, um, it's interesting though because once those projections cash flow, they like exponentially cash flow. It's very interesting to watch that happen because it's like as you hit like once you hit that growth space, it's just like oh you have all this cash in like the next year, but you have to get there. Right, and that's yeah, you've got to put you've got to wait it out. Yeah. Uh, we have a client that opened his practice in the middle of the 2018-19 recession. Mm -hmm. And it was five years before he could pay himself. And unless your spouse has a good income or you come from money, that's a really long time to go without paying yourself. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> that's living in a van down by the river or you're sleeping in the office. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's hard. I, I can imagine that's hard, but I would think that now we have more options to make money. So they have to be able to medicine options. You know, we can leverage our techs right. to do that. Um, so there are more ways I think that, um, that they're making money with like their online pharmacies and things like that. You know, my client that was, you know, that's doing their startup right now is like online pharmacy, get that going. I was like, here's, you know, talk to this person for telemedicine. I was like, you could get started on some of this now. I said, you could even exactly. be doing new puppy checks. You could be driving over there to do it. I said, just let That's us know before thing. you do it. Yeah. 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 She was like, well, my CRM's not up yet. I'm like, we have your QuickBooks up. You can invoice through, through there. I'm like, you get paid. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> Don't wait late until later. Get paid. No, it's like get paid now. Yeah. Exactly. Let's exactly. not wait. Cause it's just going to go through the hole, you know, it's just going to get lost if we, if we wait. So let's see. <laughs> so what are some of the biggest issues you find um, with veterinary practices um, in uh, creating that sustainability for the practice owners? You know, honestly, we're seeing, we're definitely seeing practices grow. And what a lot of, a lot of practices are kind of bumping up against is the need to hire another doctor. And there just aren't a lot of veterinarians on the market right now. Well, there might be right now with, with coronavirus, but yeah. um, it, it's been really difficult to recruit for veterinarians lately over the past probably four years. It's been really hard. So, so a lot of associate, a lot of brand new grads are coming out of school wanting big salaries, signing bonuses, um, moving expenses, etc. And I, what I tell my, my clients is you can pay that signing bonus. You can pay that moving bonus. That's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. What you've got to do is get somebody in or figure out how you personally can produce more. So that, that really becomes a, a limiting factor um, until veterinarians and their staff are really comfortable doing, um, doing 10 minute appointments, mm -hmm. meaning the doctor is in the room with the client for 10 minutes and the veterinary nurse provides all the other information. Um, until they get used to that kind of scheduling, it's really difficult for a single doctor practice or even a two doctor practice to grow very much because there just becomes a limitation in number of exam rooms, um, number of appointment slots, and the ability to do more without getting stressed out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly the way to do that is by hiring more veterinary nurses, because the more your nurses can take over with client education and um, ex especially explaining procedures and recommendations to clients, 
the more patients your doctors can see. Mm -hmm. So if the doctor spends 10 minutes with the client, but the nurse spends um, another 20, the client still gets the the interaction that they want. They still get the education that they need, but the doctor has been able to see two more patients in that 30 minute time slot. And veterinary nurses, so often we see they're not doing anywhere near the number of things that they're capable of doing Mm -hmm. and that they want to do and are trained to do because the doctor just hasn't utilized them fully in the past. So then, you know, we need to get that trust issue resolved so that the veterinarian says, okay, yes, I really don't have to, you know, oversee all of this or or do it myself. I can allow my nurses to do that. Um, And the nurses get so much more job satisfaction that way. Mm -hmm. It takes so much pressure then off the doctors and you can do more and produce more and grow more without being, without being, I guess, handcuffed or by not being able to find another veterinarian. Mm -hmm. Because you could get another couple of techs <laughs> and pay them all amazing salary for over one associate, right? Exactly. Um, now, certainly it's not, it's not simple to find nurses either because they're in high demand, but it's much easier and less expensive to hire a nurse than it is a doctor. Yeah, I think it's really just all about leveraging that productivity. Um, but when you're tying productivity to the doc, like like in my firm, when you're tying productivity to me, it's a bottleneck, right? Because I can exactly. only do so much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's amazing. Um, I love that. And I know that there's been a large push for, you know, veterinary nurses to be, you know, more recognized, you know, more even, you know, have a lot more you know, association, associations and training and background and, you know, really give them that robust ability to help in every Absolutely. way they can. You know, they can do pretty much everything but surgeries, right? Um, and diagnosing, prescribing and surgery. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Those are all relegated to only veterinarians and they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, however, nurses can do uh, catheter placements. I mean, certainly different states have some different regulations over what mm-hmm. nurses can do, but the more veterinarians allow them to do it, the better. And, you know, I think a lot of it, many of the nurses out there have kind of have grown up through the practice. They may have started as kennel and then gone to being an assistant. Um, So they don't think sometimes veterinarians still think of them as that kennel assistant. It's a little high school kid. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So just, um, allowing people to do more and, and developing that trust is really critical. And that creates a lot of value in the practice, right? It does. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> You're singing my song, girl. I know. Well, I mean, if the doc doesn't have to do everything, if you could just plug in whoever wants to buy it and they've already got their processes and systems and they're like, here, you do 10 minutes here. And then you go here for 10 minutes and we've got this, like exactly. we're doing the follow-up. So we've got a process, we've got you know, we've got everything ready to go. It's just plug and play, right? It, exactly. It, it is. It's like, you, you know, and who wouldn't want to buy a practice where 
they're not going to be worried about, um, you know, how the patients are treated and how the clients are treated and mm -hmm. where they can just step in and just be a doctor. So often we hear that from veterinarians, I just want to be a doctor. I don't want to be this business owner because, you know, because I don't like the pressures and, and the the decisions I have to make that I'm not comfortable making because I don't have the business background. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the more that the, the medicine, the practice can flow without needing direct input from a veterinarian, the better. Mm -hmm. And then they can grow to be business people because they kind of have to. <laughs> or they hire an outstanding practice manager mm -hmm. or hospital administrator to do that for them so that they can be, you know, the, the chairman of the board or the CEO, but they, they don't have to worry about, well, you know, if cash is tight, which bills do I pay first? Mm -hmm. Or um, why is cash tight in the first place? You know, why didn't somebody tell me this was coming? Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because it really is the, you know, the primary primary doc, you know, and human medicine, you know, with those practice managers that are really, you know, handling everything. Exactly. But it seems like the veterinarians tend to like be doing their own bookkeeping or running payroll. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. There's people who will do that for you that mm -hmm. will allow you to then spend your time doing something you enjoy doing, whether yeah. it's seeing another case or it's water skiing or, you know, just being home in your garden. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it gives you that time and energy, if, you know, to do what you need to do. Exactly. And so many people want more work-life balance or um, work-life integration where you can turn off mm -hmm. and not be on call all the time. And this is the way to do it is to surround yourself with capable people, mm -hmm. whether they're employees or whether they're consultants so that so that you can do you can live the life you want to live mm. have you seen a large shift in you know people wanting to create their own practices so that they can live the life they want instead of yeah, just you know make that. that money and work 80 hours a week and be burnt out right because nobody wants in that right and and just because people had to do that back in the 60s and 70s doesn't mean that people have to do it now right mm -hmm. There's so many options, you know, and there I think that's what's the most intriguing to me about the, the veterinary world is that there's been a huge, you know, there's been a huge shift, especially because there's a lot more women in the practices now. Um, they don't want to, uh, they understand that they, that working 80 hours a week is a horrible plan for them. You know, they don't want to do that. They have families, they have other things they want to do. They're building exactly. these practice for a lifestyle, for a goal. That, right. You know, they love medicine, but they want something else too. Exactly. And we see more, um, more women-owned practices that have two owners who are both women. And so, you know, so that they can um, back each other up when it comes to childcare and you can take time off or work three days a week because you've got a partner at the business who's also working three days a week. Yeah. And if you're le but leveraging those techs, I would think even a single office or a single doc office could maybe work three days a week or four days a week, depending on, you know, what needs to happen. Right. Exactly. Depending on what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I love it. Cause you know, we see yeah. that a lot in dentistry now is, you know, they work, they really work three days a week and then they have an office day, you know, or sure. maybe they work three and a half or they work four 
but then they have an office day. So they're really only doing four days of care or three days of care. And then they have an, you know, an office day in which they are doing their business stuff and growing exactly. and doing all that. And then they get a weekend. Exactly. And then, yeah. And I mean, have you tried to get into a dentist on Fridays? I mean, they, there's not a dentist. I don't open. think ours are open on Monday either. Oh my gosh. I think they're open yeah. Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Or wow. I don't think the docs are in on Mondays or one doc is the other isn't. Sure. But it's all like text doing crayons and stuff, you know, because sure. they're seriously leverage all of their dental texts. Well, sure. Yeah, sure. it's amazing. And they, they're doing gangbusters when they do that, right? Of course. Of course. Leveraging the people. Lever exactly. Leveraging their people. All right. So before I ask my last question, uh, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Uh, the easiest way really is to go to our website, which is summitveterinaryadvisors.com. It's kind of a mouthful, but you do it once and, and there you, you can go. spell veterinary, which I still can't. <laughs> <laughs> we need to work on that one. <laughs> I don't spell accountant right half the time. Oh. So. <laughs> it's fine. Hmm, so you like numbers, but not spelling. That's okay. right. <laughs> so that, that is the easiest way. Um, we are all working from home right now, but we've got phones forwarded and um, we're very easy to reach. So and if, if by chance you need to leave a message, you can do that. You can also just contact us through the website. There's a contact us page and we get an email generated instantly and we'll get back with you. Awesome. So. Um, what would be your number one piece of advice for somebody looking to um, open a practice? Oh, gosh. See, it would have been nice to know you were going to ask this. <laughs> um, oh, I like for it to be a surprise. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. My number one piece of advice, um, it honestly, would be make sure you work with people who are experts in the veterinary industry. Mm -hmm. So please don't go to um, to the, you know, your local um, chamber of commerce to try to get advice from them. They're great when it comes to, um, you know, demographics, et cetera, but you really need someone, not your brother-in-law not your neighbor to help you with this because it is risky and you need to understand the risk. Mm -hmm. And there are so many great veterinary specialists, business specialists out there. If you go to vetpartners.org, mm -hmm. that is a group of people who work either predominantly or exclusively with veterinarians. Um, and it, it's everyone from people who can help you with marketing and website development to um, accounting and projections and um, insurance. So, so that's a great place to go to, to get exposed to a lot of some of the best minds in the industry. Yeah, it's interesting. So I was, um, I was just at the Vet Partners meeting with you um, in February, um, our last ability to actually travel anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's amazing. You know, there's the cutting edge, you know, the people who are creating the cutting edge, you know, stuff in the veterinary are in that group. And, you know, um, there are enough, you know, there are enough different attorneys um, in vet partners that you can talk with two or three and see who fits with you. Yeah. Same with consultants and web developers. So there will be someone in there that's a good fit for you. Yeah, there's really, and there's, you know, it's interesting because everybody in there is just so, 
you know, they've either been in the industry for a really long time or they worked in the industry and now they're, you know, they were vets. A lot of them are vets or, exactly. you know, techs. About half members, I think, are, are veterinarians. Yeah. Um, so it's really people who have had their hands in for a really long time and they're just, they're it's just some of the nicest people. It's, <laughs> you it's know? really an amazing group. I've, yeah. I've been a member since 2006 mm -hmm. and, you know, you just, you learn so much when you're in that group because, you know, they're, they're we're surrounded by experts mm -hmm. and um, it's a, it's a great resource for people who are just, you know, wanting to get more information about opening a practice. Um, so talk with a couple of different people, make sure they're veterinary specific. Mm -hmm. And um, that's really the, the best advice is surround yourself with people who know what they're talking about and get some numbers, right? Right. Get some numbers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe, give your, give your expectations a dose of realism because you're not going to make a gob of money those first few years. No. And I think, you know, it's hard. I mean, any business owner struggles with that, right? Unless we have super low overhead, which most accounting practices do, but still, if you want the right people as your clients and you want to build something right, it takes a little while. It does. Yeah, exactly. But you know, as an owner, you get to pick who your clients are, what work you do, mm -hmm. um, what the culture is going to be like. So it's really a terrific adventure. Um, there's just going to be some trolls along the way. <laughs> they have to get past. Ooh, it's that business owner stuff. I always say, you know, is not for the faint of heart. It's, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not, but you know, I, I'm always thrilled when our clients um, call and say, Leslie, I, you know, my goal was to blow away your projections and, and I did it. It took me a while, but I did it. Yeah. And that's what we love. Right. And exactly. you and I probably do the same thing. We probably project low because we want them to get those wins a lot of the time, but I'm like, this is what you need to blow out of the water. Right. And I think exactly. you can, and I know you can. But right. Let's do it. Right. Let's do so, it. Yeah. yeah. And then you get paid faster. <laughs> That's exactly. And then you get paid faster. You start making money a lot yeah. faster. Yeah. And that's when it gets, that's what's fun, I think, because these are data people, sure. you know, whether they're not, they're not generally financial data people, but they're data people. So they do like to see numbers and to see and results. Numbers. I mm -hmm. mean, they like to see results. Um, yeah. That's really so. fun. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Oh, Jamie, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate all your flexibility <laughs> with getting me scheduled. No worries. We just needed to get you on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank you, so you very much. And um, I hope we'll have a vet partners meeting this summer and maybe I'll see you then. Yeah. But we'll have much long before then. Yeah, before then. Awesome. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.